Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? Let's do it. Howdy, howdy. Yo. I am the vine, you are the branches. Just had a little short meditation uh, before we get started. I know we always, for those of you that don't know, we do it Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., no matter if you're listening to the day or, or what, but we do it once a week. So it's always at dinner time, and I always stay away from a big meal on Tuesday nights. So tonight I had some turkey and some sliced apples. Uh, but I just did a, a meditation and I don't know why I wanted to talk about this in the beginning, but over the weekend I got some really big grapes. And I don't know if you've done this before, but fruit, obviously, you know, it comes from seeds and it's, it's very spiritual if you eat fruit presently and especially things like grapes, cause it's, it's like a vine. And then you have the fruits that come off of that vine. And when you put the grape in your mouth, you just chew it slowly and, and feel the meat of the grape on the inside. And it's a very spiritual thing to do presently. Um, so I was, I was feeling the meat of grape inside my mouth as I was eating it. And you can do that with apples as well, but just fruit in general is a, it's kind of a, kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of universe laws that we talk about. And fruit is a big one with the seeds and, you know, bearing good fruit. And just so you know, studying the chakras recently taste so the texture and taste in your mouth is directly related to the root chakra are you kidding because that's what you challenged me last week and that's that's where a lot of my focus has been this week is yeah so each of the chakras and I don't, I'm not an expert yet, but I mean, I, but I started on the root chakra and I'm working my way up. So I, I just got a book at the bookstore and it's like the most, um, detailed book about the chakra that I've read yet, but each of them are related to one of the five senses. Oh, okay. and, and the root chakra is the one related to taste. That is interesting. And one of the things that you do if you notice, even if you're awake, it's, it's, it's sometimes very difficult to remain awake while you're eating because it, it could be the one time to, where you want to slip into like, you know, just a sleepness, you know, to enjoy a meal or um, maybe overindulge a bit. So it's a time where you can kind of flip that around and, you know, eating just a grape is, is a spiritual experience. Um, but I love 
all kinds of fruit and apples is, is, is another good one, but I just feel better when we're talking on the podcast. I mean, not to have anything heavy on my stomach and I start out with a seeded fruit that I've eaten. So it's one of the things that, um, uh, I wanted to incorporate, uh, 30 minutes before the podcast started, just cause I think it's a, it's a big deal as far as putting out good fruit as, as well. Um, but yeah, I actually drove to the store at like six o'clock just to get some fruit. We didn't have any in the house and just cleaned out the fridge. So good deal. Yeah, that is interesting. I know a lot of, um, the spiritual teachers talk about, especially at nighttime, being very aware of like, when was the last time that you have eaten and trying to, um, back that off a little bit. And the whole point is if your body is spinning the energy in digestion, then that's pulling away from the energy. It could be doing other things. And fruit in particular is definitely like across the board, like one of the easiest things for the system to digest. Yeah. And that's what I was going for too. I mean, when you're on the podcast, after a heavy meal, like digesting your food, I noticed like, I'm, you know, could be it's just not good for 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 good conversation to have a heavy meal and you're right it's it's i do do the 16 8 every day but my largest consumption is you know six or seven o'clock at night so you know i pretty much train my body and you could say okay well why don't you eat your heavier meal at at that first meal which is like 12 and that's hard for me to do the way I've trained my body because I've fasted for 16 hours. So when you go to the 12 o'clock meal, like I can't, I can't eat that big meal then. And then, but you know, it's just, it's just keep working on it till you find exactly the right code for your body. And yeah, a lot of it, I think is just awareness. Like you said, just put the presence into the process and it actually, will demonstrate things to you. I know since we've um, done so well with alcohol and then once you take alcohol out of the diet, you're like, well, I might as well at this point, like really examine the rest of the stuff going in and trying to, I mean, I've never really examined food in a spiritual way, but there really is like a, and it, it's just like you said, it just comes down to like really paying attention. Like, because I've noticed like, like there'll be like a bar, like a protein bar. Cause you know, we're always on the run. So like I'll pack a protein bar and you eat it and you know, it doesn't sit right. And it's, but they're in the cabinet and you end up like just throwing it in the next day because they're in the cabinet. Like you just don't want a waste of food, but then you don't mention anything to your wife or like you're at the grocery store and it's, and you'll buy them again. And now, so you're in that same position on like Monday, like, why did I buy these again? I already told myself and understood that they're not quite settling right. So it's weird. It's like, it's real subtle. Like you'll get the hint, but then there's like a conditioning you have to break. And it's not even something that I, you're that invested in eating. It's just like this weird habit. Like you pass them in the grocery store and you just put them in the cart. 
because you had them last week. But I definitely caught myself doing that. And I actually went grocery shopping this week and I had my hand on them. I was about to put them in the cart again. I'm like, what are you doing? It's very, very weird. So I found like the justification process with food is way more easier than something as obvious as like smoking. Like if you smoke a cigarette, you like pretty much figure out, okay, that it's going to hit you. It's like you, you be awake for two seconds on the inhale and you know, you know, you're harming your body Um, or alcohol, you know, in that kind of excess, you're harming your body. I mean, it's just, it's just factual, you know, you know, by how your body feels, but the subtleness of food, you, you, like you said, you can eat like a power bar or something and, and, you know, maybe it gives you that carb energy, but you, you still feel that subtle, not settling in your stomach. But just for example, like, I just ate some turkey pepperonis and apples that would never cause me any problems ever. It just hits my stomach. Like, yeah, why that's, that's, wouldn't you consume that all the time? I mean, it's, it's good stuff, but it food is so subtle and the justification is so easy because it's like, well, I've got to eat to live. got to eat something. And you just bypass that whole, um, if anything's giving you any, any kind of signal, it's you just kind of bypass it until I guess you get into the depths when you start working on chakras. I mean, you're just raising the awareness. Like you can't start working on chakras like we are and not start raising awareness so much that you're like, okay, I get the mind's eye. I get the heart, but yeah, it's, it's, it's everything in tandem. It's the temple. It's the body. And you you can't really go to where we're going and not have this super awareness to catch, catch even the subtle things, you know? So, yeah, I, I feel like, cause, um, with the bars, like I traded it for like this, I basically just did like a vegetable roll up with like a bunch of greens. And I mean, the subtleness is so subtle that what you're doing in especially like if you wake up and you're in a in a good habit of waking up and meditating so you're understanding you're understanding your flow of energy first thing in the morning and now you're setting off for your day like the subtleness is really just trying not to disrupt that like you're not even necessarily going to elevate it because i think like you start to get hungry and like you have this thing in your head like well, I'm going to eat something. I'm going to feel better. But that's not the right way to think about it. Like you're going to eat something and you're going to feel the same. You're going to eat something and you're going to maintain that point where you set yourself off from in the morning if you're being disciplined. And I think that's like the little thing that clicked in my head. It's like you have this idea, especially like with my work where it's kind of like industrial athletic and you're you're trying to fuel the body to actually perform physically as you move and you have this idea that you're going to like eat something and it's going to be like a little bit of a pick-me-up but it's that's never the case like i don't know why we keep saying that in our head so what you're trying to do is basically eat something and not notice and just maintain that ride that you got on in the morning and so the subtleness is like even more subtle it's like not it's trying to get like no response from the body because you know, as you get going through the day and you start thinking about where you're going to eat for dinner, 
Like everything you do is actually a downgrade. Everything you do is like the stomach and stuff like pulling energy away for the digestion process. So everything is like going in the opposite direction. You're just trying to like slow that process for as long as you can, because you know, eventually that day you're going to eat a meal. And then that's going to most likely come with some form of lethargy. Absolutely. Lethargy is not what we need. We need awakeness. Yes. Yeah. And you more, you are more susceptible. You, you end up being more susceptible to unconsciousness. It's harder to ride that presence once you start feeling tired. Very much so. It, it, it starts the downfall as soon as you start to indulge. Yes. Going after the mouth pleasure. And then once you're going after the mouth pleasure, you're not, if you're going after a mouth pleasure, you're not present during that mouth pleasure. And then afterwards, the feeling, I mean, it's just all around a recipe for going away from um, consciousness. I don't know if, where I just heard this. It's pretty simple, but it's something everyone needs to always be reminded of. Might've been on Twitter. There's a quote where someone said, do things that always step you towards consciousness. Yeah. Instead of doing things that make you step out of consciousness. And if you think about it, it's really simple, but if you really break down your day, there are times when you, do things to step away from consciousness. And if you just have the constant reminder of is this action going to a sleep state or is it going to consciousness and looking at things that, that clearly, you know, could, could help better decision makings in the, in the moment. It's really simple, but I mean, what we do is really simple too. I, I can't resist just the way this conversation has started to kind of pick up with one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm reading this book um, this week. I'm pretty much almost done with it. It's called Food for the Heart. It's one of the free spiritual section books on Audible. Um, and I'm kind of just picking at random, but we've been doing so much heart talk that I kind of couldn't resist the title when I saw it, Food for the Heart. And... Um, so I'm starting to listen to that and it's, I didn't realize what I was getting into, but it's extremely Buddhist and basically it, it's written by a Buddhist monk who never had sex, um, never had any kind of like defilement in terms of like alcohol or substance abuse. And so he, he took the path of the monk and now he's talking about it. So he's talking about methods. That's the interesting part. But one of the methods that he talked about, like really kind of rang true for me and it like dug in in a real serious way. And it's not a method you haven't heard of. It's just follow the breath. But after he talked about it, I realized like, holy cow, like I could be studying like following the breath for the rest of my life. Because it's something so simple, but at the same time, it's something 
that's also very subtle and actually is a lot of complication to it. So what was different when he started talking about follow the breath is be aware of it going in the nose, be aware of it passing the heart and be aware of it in your belly. So if you can see what you've done there, you've activated the bottom chakras and the top chakras. And the heart is kind of difficult, but all you have to do is maybe take three breaths and then hold and immediately you can pick up your heartbeat. So it's just passing by your heart in each direction. And so you follow the breath in and you follow the breath out. And, but think about how we say it. We always say follow the breath, but for whatever reason, like I never really had my awareness going up and down like that. And his method for awakening is basically do that when you wake up all day, every day. And if you feel like you're losing your sanity, you're doing it right. So what he's saying is never break. So again, this is the monk. I mean, he's in the monastery. He has, he has, um, you know, a system where I understand our system of responsibilities and stuff is a little bit different, but he's talking to us. That's why he wrote the book. He's saying there's a refuge there in the breath. And if you stay in the breath, then you notice when the mind does something and that's fine. You notice, but you continually go right back to the breath and you stay like a disciplined samurai and you don't leave the breath. And he's like, he gives you one refuge. He says, you can stay at the tip of the nose, just like what we were talking about. And he's like, if you get to where you can stay at the tip of the nose, he says, pay attention at that time because your mind will be very still. So he's like, that's, that's a place where you can rest in the tip of the nose. Let the mind be still. What's interesting about this, Luke, is for one, like I tried it for like one day. I'm realizing you actually inspired me when you were talking about work and we were saying how you've kind of created like a spiritual jungle gym for yourself. And my work's a little bit different, but I can commit to like some of these experiments. So I was just trying to do it Friday. Just, I just committed to it. I'm just like, I'm going to see if I can do this. And it does, it drives you nuts because you get bored. You're like, what am I doing? You're like, I just want to turn something like it messes with you all day. And you have to like, keep coming back to the breath. It's a really interesting experiment. Um, but it, he's not just saying stay with the breath. There's a whole point to it. So there's a Buddhist concept where what he's saying, if you stay with the breath long enough and you commit to it and you truly have discipline, there's a Buddhist concept for somebody who reaches a spot where they stop breathing. It rings true for me, everything you just said, because I, I, 
second time you would say I've heard the word revival before and never knew what, you know, a revival in religion was whatever, yada, yada, yada. I experienced a revival in presence when what happened to you happened to you. And it sent me into a new breath. You remember me telling you I had this new breath that I didn't have the first time. Obviously, there was some breathing, but in my younger days, I didn't incorporate breathing as much. I've talked about it um, a little bit on the podcast because I was maybe too young to understand. Maybe was dealing with some when I was a kid, I had a, a, a hard time. Maybe I grew out of asthma, whatever it may be. I, you know, what we did to our lungs when we were younger, I don't know the cause of it, but incorporating breathing in my first meditation days was not as easy as it is now. And it would almost get to the point of hyperventilation, but. I wouldn't be able to reverse it or it would be difficult. I mean, I I would be able to calm myself down, but it was like, why even go there when you can just, I think that's why at an early age, I incorporated my hands because my hands became my grounding force and I didn't have to rely on my breath that much. So as though you said driving, I could, you know, as long as I keep my attention on my hand, that was a ground and it's created like this grounding hand that I've been doing it for like 20 years, but it's created like this spiritual hand. But after the revival, I developed a new breath and a new sense of meditation that I can do anything with breath and I don't have any issues with causing hyperventilation or anything. And I just tweeted one of the experiments that I had this week in meditation. And I was sitting Indian style, which I, I don't do much of. I usually probably in a more comfortable spot, but I took your advice on that and, You know, if I'm going to try to really work on the lower chakras, I wanted to be all in in a spot where I knew, you know, my attention is at a very high level and Indian style is a great way to do that, especially, you know, with the lower chakra work. So you can kind of work, you know, from your bottom up to your head in synchronicity. But I was doing that, you know, raising energy from my lower, from the root to my, all the way to my crown. And what I found was that I didn't necessarily stay at one chakra very long, but I got that circle going to where I was involving everything in my meditation now, you know, from the root up to the crown and then forward down to the root up and just continued that practice. And then with the tip of my nose, it seemed like I could get to that light glow and that like pure love state very quickly. 
And like I said, more often, maybe even every time I meditate now, because there's certain times that, you know, in meditation where I've even heard people find the light or, you know, and it's very difficult for them to get back to that first time experience. And this seems to be like, every time I meditate, I, I can put myself back there. So it, just that, or in that style, like Indian style, you know, all in. So after I got to that spot where, you know, I was breathing, breathing good, I, I was looking down the barrel of my nose and it was just, you know, no thought. And I got to that state and I just sat there for a couple of minutes and just soaked it in like I normally do. And for some reason, I was just like, I've never done, I've never done this position before, but I was on our bedroom floor and Patty was actually in the bathroom. So I'm in the master bedroom. She's in the bathroom just getting ready or, or whatnot, um, for the day. And so I'm, I was on Indian style on the carpet. So I just pivoted and like laid back and I put my legs together and I put, I put my arms out as though I was in a cross position just like that. And I, and I kept meditating and my breathing is very odd. I tweeted it. I don't know if you read it. Uh, it was, it was like, like the spirit like takes over breathing and Patty come out of the bathroom and she said, Luke, are you okay? She said, you're not breathing right. And, she startled me. I didn't know how, what the breathing was, was, was doing. It was, it, it, it completely, what I tweeted, you know, after that happened was it feels like the breathing goes from mind to like spirit or like to another part of awareness in your body. Like, have you experienced that before? Because I no longer no, in touch they, with the breathing, but the breathing, so it like the breathing starts doing what it wants to do. It's not out of control, but to someone like this listening in the bath, she had the door shut, she's like doing her hair or something. She was checking on me because it wasn't normal, but I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, that, that's so crazy that I'm, It's so crazy. Like, I didn't even read your your tweet about that, and it's it's just so nuts that I mean I just now like got through that part of the book. It's um, yeah. I mean because that that rigorous discipline with the breath is supposed to lead to something. Like what it's a Buddhist concept. Like there's a word for it, and it's just like what we were saying before. Like I don't know what other word to use. It's a bad word to use in spirituality. It's an achievement, um, but it's like something you get and then you don't lose. And so it's like like a progressive step. And the way the Buddhists talk about it is they say to the to the person, it's as if the breathing ceases and now the energy just comes in and out of your pores, which is very, very close to what you just said. She came out and she said, you stop breathing. And I got worried. And I said, what are you talking about? I haven't stopped breathing. Yeah, that's so, yeah, that's very, very weird. But 
that that would be the whole point in driving yourself crazy so you can probably scratch that part off your <laughs> off your list but for anybody listening that's like if you're stuck in like a mundane spot for the day a mundane life situation you know like you're going to do landscaping for the day or you know you're going to be at the DMV for the day you know like there's a real opportunity there instead of just sitting there like scrolling on your phone or whatever to just dig in on that breath and just fight with discipline and watch the ego just do anything and everything to manifest itself it really is quite maddening when you when you commit fully and i think what like the difference between that and what i used to do is i used to let my presence like observe or let my presence you know go to my hand or let my presence you know like go to my feet like i would let my presence be other things even though it's still present but when you when you force it just to the breath and you don't let it retreat anywhere it really stirs some stuff up in the ego but it serves as a it serves as another trick for nighttime um trying to get yourself in the hypogogic state for lucid or astral projection there's because your presence is in the breath i don't know quite how to explain it but you can almost hide you can hide from your system so like when you lay down at night the hypogogic state is going to wants to present like you can't react to it you can't anything you do in the mind is going to disrupt it like you got to be super subtle super disciplined but if you're in the breath it's almost like you're hiding from yourself the system doesn't know you're there but you're actually very aware and you just stay in the breath but all it took was a day of just discipline and it changed my nighttime awareness so i can stay more quiet more still and then you can notice more stuff going on in the body you just can't let your awareness get pulled from the breath very interesting meaningful uh method from this buddhist monk but it seemed like you already nailed it i tweeted was just indian style working on opening chakras at the end, I laid on my back and spread out my arms like a cross. It is amazing when spirit seems to take over breathing and not the mind. That, yeah, that's that, that insane. Was four days ago. That's insane. Um, so you're laying on the back with the arms out. Yeah, that's very crucifixion style. That's very heart strong. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's spiritual. Trust me. Do do. I mean, it's it it's it's highly spiritual my yeah. god you i don't know if- but it's specific gene hart specifically ties that to the heart one of the one of the heart um awakening motions that you can do mechanical motions that you can do yeah and i i mean 
the sequence that I did, I guess I got it right the first time, but I, I, I don't know if I would start out there, but I would get Indian style and then, you know, work all the chakras, you know, open everything up, you know, try to get to the spot of no thought and, and that pure love energy, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that spot that you're, you're going after the, uh, you know, the mind has quieted pretty much to nothing. And then, you know, enjoy that for a couple minutes and then and then just lay down and into the cross and then i i really from there i just went into breathing and i was i was doing you know breaths but i was already in that state of no thought so when you start doing the the breathing and and you're in that state but but it's, it's super spiritual because you're in crucifixion style and it's I've, I've had it happen before where the breathing gets to where you feel like something's taken over, but I've never had someone in the room come out of the bathroom and describe what they heard. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Cause I was like, man, I did what, uh, you know, I was like, there's nothing to be concerned about. I'm not, about, I'm not right. about to die, but to someone that was just a fly on the wall, it would have, you know, probably scared them. But I, if, if she had known my state, my God, I was feeling amazing. Yeah, that's super. Especially since we've been hooking up in dreams and stuff. It's like, I'm reading something and you're experiencing it. Oh, <laughs> dreams, 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 dreams. I, I've been trying to be more active on Twitter. So I, anytime I experience something, I'm trying to share it, trying to, um, just at least post something a day trying you know trying to just be active on there and 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 share obviously we post the podcast on there but if i a lot of times i'll in my mind i start saying well dang i need to call kane and explain it and then i'm like well just just tweet it out and at least you'll have a reference point um to where something happened during the week but yeah you you brought up the dream so I, I gotta, I gotta tell you about my, which is not, it's not very extravagant, but the synchronicities that followed were what nailed it for me. Um, because I mean, obviously I'm looking at synchronicities, but this was a, this was a Friday night and was it that day? Is it the day doesn't matter, but it was either Thursday or Friday. I don't know if it was the same day, but we were tweeting with uh, the prodigal son and it was so beautiful. I got to read that because let me find that real quick. Is it that that lays the groundwork for this story? He said, what's a quote? So I don't know if it's his quote or not. Christ didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness, faithfulness is not holding the fort; it's storming the gates of hell. I was like, "What? Yeah, where? Which guy, man? Who is this guy? He's got like Matrix glasses on in the in the photo. That's I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, but real quick, and and I'll I'll stop with the Buddha stuff, but I. Also, like re- going through this book, he talks, there is a Buddhist word and a Buddhist concept 
for a certain type of spiritual person that denies heaven specifically to go to work in hell. They have a word for that. Interesting. Do you know the word? Yeah. Well, I'm just, that's a certain type of saint, certain type of spiritual. Oh, okay. I got you. Certain kind of spiritual path. Like, um, where they just say straight up, like, I understand heaven. Thank you very much. I'm not doing that. I'm going here. But it, with the intention of helping. But it's just interesting that, you know, some of these other cultures. And that's from, that's Buddhism? That's Buddhism, yeah. Because I know we've talked about it with, I mean, our culture, but I, I, we don't really have a reference point in terms of, it doesn't seem like there's even a word for that in our culture. But over there, they've seemed to, they've seemed to have worked through that concept already. And they actually have language to explain that process. Makes sense. Um, but that's what the prodigal son's talking about. Yes. Yes. And so he's definitely got that Christian. Um, he, I mean, he's talking, but he's also over in Thailand. So he gets that cross-cultural, spiritual stuff going. Um, but I know that's obviously what you and I thought, not that we felt like we were you know, back then necessarily spiritual capable, but I mean, just the, just the first introduction of the concept of heaven and hell brought up to me an idea in my heart of like, I'm not sure what help could be done in heaven. Like I just remember that like right away after I understood the concept was, well, don't the people in hell need more help than the people in heaven? And that's that's looking at it from a very traditional sense too, as far as um as I don't know what I'm completely sold on as far as you know, I I feel like I have a lot of wisdom and a lot of stuff comes to me here as far as what to say, what to do, the path being laid out before you, you know, the path of fighting evil here the path of going to where we might be going in astral projection. It gets really unclear for me about places after you die. Like, is there this place that's called hell in our mind? Obviously it's not going to be able to grasp other, other, but, but the only thing the human mind can do is say, there's a place like geography, like there's a place, heaven, there's a place, hell. But I know that that's the mind getting in the way. And that's like the condition. Like past life is something that's hard to even comprehend, I think, for us here. Because you're dealing with different realms that we can kind of dabble in with, you know, maybe the astral projection and and maybe even lucid dreaming. But it's... It gets unclear as far as, because I know we have limitations here, you know, and maybe it's something we discover as the path is laying out as far as astral projection, because, you know, you've experienced some things where you've gone to 
but you know, just for example, like where you were getting crystallized, you know, in, in, in terms of that was probably some type of astral projection. It's still like, you can't even really probably grasp where you're at and then where you're at, like it's, it's a state of being mm -hmm. like being crystallized, maybe the, the heaven, but you're not bound to like a place called heaven. Like you've obviously been crystallized as, as light by, by this drone that you came in contact with, but it's, you know, unseen to like, okay, you're going straight to these gates. Oh, you didn't make the cut. You're going straight to these gates. So I think there's like universal laws that doesn't really revolve around punishment, but revolves on like the state you're in and the state you get trapped in when you die. And then that's where the help comes in. And it's just hard to know, like, what are those realms like with our mind now? Yeah, I, I agree with all that, but, and I also think though, that we might have more clarity than we realize because you can kind of like go throughout your day and you're dealing with different levels of consciousness. You can kind of see it like as you move, like, you know, this acquaintance is this level of consciousness and then you can see like different levels of consciousness. I think that's really all it is. When we talk about heaven and hell, we, we have like a more traditional sense of it, but I think it's just like all the way open to consciousness to like animalistic unconsciousness. Yeah. I just got a picture of the warehouse and I am legend. Where yeah. It's yes. like 20 people are in a circle and they're all unconscious. But somehow right. it's very eerie because you feel like all those people in there, they all feel like they're serving a purpose, but none of them understand like where they're at. Like you can tell, right. like these people don't even know they're in a dark warehouse, but there's 20 of them. So they're like, oh, I like my company. <laughs> like it's right. it's like gravity. Yeah. yeah. So they don't even know. But like, I think you're talking about going into places like that. Right. And they're like, oh, whoa, what is this? Oh, shit. Where, what, th there's, there's somewhere else other than this. I only see 20 people that are asleep just like me. And I, I think it's like, like you said, it could be some like cosmic explosions going on at that time. I don't know what happens at that time, but you, I just get that picture. Um, that's how I, the mind's eye good example of how it works for me i mean i just got a picture of those guys standing in a circle and we're asking a, a question and i see them just huddling around they're just in their state all they know is their state they obviously died right. in a bad state there's 20 other people that died in that state and they just are in it yeah and i, I don't think you necessarily like just start off like being able to um like fix somebody from that state i think just feeling my way through it seems like what you're going to have to be able to like just bear witness like become more and more in tune to your own inner strength and on a on a 
multiple journey level, like just continue to bear witness. And you're just doing what you just said. It's like, okay, it's just a level of unconsciousness and you get to witness it and you get to build that compassion. Like you're not, you're not like seeing it and saying, oh, this is an evil place. Like that's not what you're doing. You're, you're bearing witness and you're letting your system become accustomed to what you're seeing and you're slowly taking it in and you're letting it resonate in the heart and you're finding your compassion for just this level of consciousness that you were granted vision of. And I think you kind of go through that and you train yourself over time. And then as you become more comfortable and more compassionate, there could be opportunities that are more aggressive in terms of like what you could do. But that's total speculation. I don't know. <laughs> no, but I mean, we're going there and we're asking the questions and things are flowing out of it and that it makes sense. So whenever, whenever I get that kind of confirmation and, and resonation feeling, um, you know, I don't, nothing's out of the realm of possibilities. Another thing that comes to me is the fact that, you know, getting the attention of them may be difficult. Like they may not even yeah. see you. Correct. So the whole, or if they do, it'll be just like I am legend. Mm. I mean, if they see you, I mean, you represent something that they don't understand. Right. And so, yeah, you, there, there were, there was going to have to be like a tremendous amount of inner strength just to withstand that kind of barrage. I mean, the I am legend is such a great, um, metaphor for what's going on. I mean, remember when he gets trapped by those things? Yes, that was pretty intense. (laughs) No, I mean, it's a good metaphor for, I mean, because if, if you're a lot of traps are probably going to be tried to set, I mean, traps are set for us now in this place all the time. Right. And so you're going to have to be able to like hit that trap and then go completely meditative. Mm. Like that's the whole, like we think we're meditating now. And I I mean, of course we are, but I think what you're doing is you're preparing yourself for like going down these intense spiritual journeys. You're preparing yourself to be able to settle out of like some like, oh my gosh, I'm hanging upside down and the sun's going down. (laughs) You're preparing yourself to settle through that and be your own strength in that moment. I think like that's what the whole practice is. It's becoming like a conduit back to the oneness. Absolutely. And 28 Days Haunted, after you text me that, I watched the first episode. The whole time I was like, man, I I can almost taste fear, but I'm like, if you put Kane and I in there, I feel like, like it's unstoppable as far as what not. And, and I'm saying that not to gloat because I think if you put me in there by myself, I don't necessarily know how good I am. And I, and, and I could succumb to fear. I don't know. And I, I don't think I would during certain times, but 
you know, if you're sleeping and it's just, you're trying to get rest and you're like constantly, you know, you're going to be hearing stuff throughout the whole night. That's the problem I'm having. It's like, okay, what I'm going to obviously need to sleep at some time. And, and I just see that as a problem as far as not being able to stay, but I'm, but I put you in there with me and I'm like, there's no freaking way. There's no freaking way. Like the walls are coming down. They're coming down before we go out of there. I mean, because we already understand what the worst, but it's just something about being by yourself in that situation too. It's like you walking outside at, you know, in the middle of the night by yourself. There's just an eerie feeling. It's not like you can't do it, especially if you live out in the woods. I mean, it's kind of eerie just to go out by yourself. But you put me with you and we walk out at two o'clock in the morning in the woods. I'm not, it's, I understand like there's something there that agrees with me. So it's kind of a, I'm glad that they're doing it, you know, with pairs and, and three people. But as good as I think I am, as far as meditation and awareness and presence, if you put me in that situation, I don't know if I'm that good alone. Maybe I'm yeah, selling I, myself I short, do, but. I do think it's very difficult to tell. I I do think, um, and a lot of it is exactly what you said. Like if it starts getting to where you can't sleep, like that's, that's just going to start a process where it's going to be much harder to maintain awareness, uh, through that whole thing. It's funny that you say that because later on in the episodes, um, two of them, the demonologists and the other girl, they actually take the beds from upstairs and they put them downstairs oh, together. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, but I was like, that's a great idea. Cause you just, you manage your sleep and then you just go to work when you go to work. Yeah, that'd be the first thing you'd want to do, though, is manage your sleep. Yeah. And then those other idiots, they're like sleeping like right in front of those huge like wall mirrors. And I'm just like, oh, heck no. <laughs> Would not be sleeping in front of a mirror. Yeah, I think it comes down to are you getting good sleep in there? And, you know, yeah. I've seen on different shows where people start to get sleep deprived, their thoughts, um, they get magnified somehow uh it may be something to dabble in I, I i don't know but i i've seen people they get sleep maybe that's why um i don't know why that does any good as like war punishment i know they sleep deprive uh prisoners of war i'm not sure i understand the strategy in sleep deprivation because you're not even dealing with someone who's of the right mind. So they'll pretty much say anything, I guess at that point. So I, I don't know if you're actually getting facts or, or, or what you're getting, but sleep deprivation on some of these shows where people don't get sleep, man, their thoughts like take over them. Like is to see you like all my training goes out the window. Like I didn't sleep one night and it's very like, if you don't sleep one night, like you're on 24 hours, man, it's extremely difficult to try to manage your thoughts because they get to a point where they, they get stronger and stronger and you have to get rest so you can be strong and aware. It's funny because, um, that Buddhist monk, 
I said I wasn't going to go back to it, but apparently I'm 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 going to end up going back a couple times. Seems to be a Buddhist but monk kind of night. Part part of his methods at the beginning, so he's that disciplined breath. But when you go to sleep, he says, no matter what, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, you wake up. Period. Really? And he's like, your ego is going to tell you you can go back asleep. Your ego, and so he talks about the conversation you're going to have with yourself then, but he's like, the discipline is, I mean, and I'm not advocating, this is not something that you and I should be doing for sure. I mean, we just have too many responsibilities for the day, but in terms of like what the Buddhist monk philosophy would be in the monastery, it's like, oh, like they get one chance to sleep and if they screw it up and they wake up, they got to get up. Even if that's like three o'clock. Even if it, yep, no, doesn't matter when it happens. You sleep in one cycle and that's it. I guess you learn the lesson because if, yes. if you do it the first time, you're like, well, I'm <laughs> going to sleep till five tomorrow. Just yeah. exhaustion. Right. That's, that's, that's pretty true, though, especially if you sometimes, you know, I'll wake up at six and you start playing games in your head and I lay there till 630. But I didn't get anything from six until six thirty, except games in my head. That's right. all I got for thirty minutes. So I started right. my head trying to convince myself that my body needs to lay here from six right. six thirty. That's all that was right. accomplished. So if you apply, I mean, if you look at it on the subtle levels that we do, it makes a hundred percent sense not to start your day off because. If you do get up at six o'clock, it's immediately positive. Like your day is started off on the right foot. When you, when you do, when the ego wins and you get up at six 30 and you start walking to make, you do have a sense that of, of defeatedness because that first 30 minutes of your day, the ego won. Yes. So you start your day on an ego win. Yes. If you break it down. Yeah, no, and he goes all into that. You brought you broke it down perfectly, and that's exactly what he says. And uh, and he's like, if it's so bad, like you know, you woke up at one o'clock in the morning, then you're just going to end up. So you can get up, you can not give the ego that win, and you have to like go hard into the meditation because now you know you're gonna you're gonna be fighting your own lethargy all day or all night. But for those guys, that's not that's not necessarily a negative. That's any obstacle that you put in front of them like that. That's an opportunity for more mental discipline. So a Buddhist monk wakes up right at, say, 5 o'clock. You know what the first thing they do is? Is it meditation? That's a good question. I don't um, know. I just didn't know if you, if, if they say. I'm sure it is. I, I would, I would, I'm sure it's some form of meditation, but yeah, I couldn't go through like what exactly their methods are at that time. Buddhism, man, such a, man, if, if we didn't have in me over the years too, have that to lean on. Uh, as far as practices, you know, it's, it's so, so impactful for the spiritual journey. 
there's so there's so much knowledge in uh buddhism and and the practices there and anytime i talk about buddhism or uh, the practice they're, they're just all dead on they're just all they're all right there they're it's so method heavy yes, in comparison exactly. to our culture exactly but, yeah. but what's missing in in our culture is methods yeah. so yeah when you take christianity and you're like you see christ and you're like well yeah christ seems like a great guy to model your life after but there's no methods so it turns into an exalting thing so you can uh, you you take buddhism and you pull that into christianity and now all of a sudden you have something beautiful yeah it's very true but the the ego doesn't want to pull something in like that because christianity is right and buddhism is right so the two necessarily can't coexist but yeah that's why it ends up it ends up just being i mean like osho said it best and i mean even a lot of the buddhists like the ones that are really onto it i mean it's all there is no guru there is no teacher you know take take the truth from all the cultures because they all have pieces of it and then as well, you know, take the truth from nature, take the truth from the seeds, take the truth from the fruit. So it's just not, it's just opening your eyes to the truth all around you. It's just everywhere. Right. It's very cool. Very cool to see. So I started off the program. I tried a little different sequence and a little bit more different method of how I was going to plan. And like I said, I presently ate the fruit and, and Turkey and not a heavy meal. And I meditated for about 25 minutes and I thought I am the vine. You are the branches was a great way to start the program. And it, it led for an hour there, but what I was super <laughs> excited about like really, 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 I mean, all week. Uh, and one of the very things that I think, you know, the path being laid out before us and and the reason for the name, the backwards infect, that's what I think probably is more along the lines as one of my stronger passions as far as, as what we do. But you actually sent me a tweet. And breaking down what the backwards infect, really what it means to me is breaking down traditional religion and bad translation into something more methods wise that you can apply to spirituality and attain something um, because it is all mechanical at the end of the day. So this program for me is like dedicated to try to cipher through the, the mistranslations over the years. And one of them is what you sent me Aramaic um, version of the Lord's prayer. And I kind of want to break it down. Let me see what I got here. I do want to start with the original 
Lord's Prayer. I think reading that one first. Yeah, I'll start with that one. Okay, so this is what we all know. This is, I don't know, a traditional version. Seems to be seems to be a good one. Um, but this is what we probably learned in church and definitely what, I mean, this is what the congregation, I think I remember in church them saying this every service. I, th- I think the service was either ended or, or started out this way, but the traditional translation of, of the new age is our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. That was the traditional. So you sent me a couple of days ago, which I thought was phenomenal. So in things like this over the internet, if there's someone that's going to fact check this and say it's not Aramaic translation, that's not the point. The point is even the point is it doesn't matter. We believe this is an original Aramaic translation of the Lord's prayer because it makes sense. But you know, I'm things passed down. It it doesn't matter. This is a better Lord's prayer, no matter how we got here. It's unbelievable. This is my only point. So this new, well, this is not a new version. This is supposed to be straight from Aramaic to English, which is also a translation. But the difference is you listen to like what resonates and we can break it down in further in detail. Once I, I just wanted to read them both out and then kind of dissect them. Um, cause I wanted to talk about each different one and what it means to spirituality. So let me just read the Aramaic to English one right now and see how this rings true. O cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, soften the ground of our being and carve out a space within us where your presence can abide. Fill us with your creativity so that we may be empowered to bear the fruit of your mission. Let each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desire. Endow us with the wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish. Untie the tangled threads of destiny that bind us as we release others from the entanglement of past mistakes. Do not let us be seduced by that which would divert us from our true purpose, but illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. For you are the ground and the fruitful vision the birth, power, and fulfillment as all is gathered and made whole once again. And so it is. That's uh, <laughs> Aramaic to English. It's so good. 
It's so good because when I read it, I'm like, well, that the Lord's prayer has mean nothing to me after I awakened because uh, it, and the reason why is because I can completely see what they did to it. And it's just like anything in the Bible. Like you read Jesus quotes and you get your validation. You're like, wow, that resonates with my heart. I know his heart. You know, I, I feel that. And then, you know, you move on. But there's certain things after you awaken that you just completely write off because they're so traditional and so empty that you know that it was like ego involved. If I go back to the original Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. So Our Father, which art in heaven. That translation already puts whatever kind of spiritual experience you want to have, it already puts God into like what I used to call or still call the ancient God syndrome, like far away God, like opposite of omnificence. Hallowed be thy name. So now you, you put the name in idle stance, right? So if you're looking at like controlling a people, you want there to be a far away God and you want there to be like a name that's exalted, right? You you have to do that for obedience and control. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But you've already started with our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So you've already started the separation. And this is completely for control, just like uh, the book of Eli, you know, wanting the book. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Obviously, I mean, there's some truth in that, but once you've already done the separation, there is no method methodology to get to like whatever the hell thy will be done means in earth as it is in heaven, which is actually a beautiful thing because you can experience as above so below. What's that? As above so below. Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, which it, it gets into some some pretty cool stuff here as we forgive that obviously judge lest you be judged. It has, just like a lot of verses, factual universe laws that... Gratitude. Yes. But deliver us from... And lead us not into temptation, which is something, yeah, you you would you would want, but deliver us from evil. But that's putting... So that's still aligning with like far away God. Like that's saying like you're putting out like this exit prayer, like God, please. It's the separation ancient God syndrome. It's I have to pray like this separation prayer to a God that hopefully I'm worthy enough that he hears me, that he's going to deliver me from evil and keep me from temptation, which is completely opposite of the mechanics of like true Christianity for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And that's just a bam. That's a stamp statement at the end where it's like for thine is the kingdom, the power. Yes. You are the man way far away out there. Like that's, that's sealing from the first couple sentences. That's, that's putting that seal on it. So you've really got the first two and then the last sentence. And then you do have truth in between, but you see how they set the set it up in the beginning and they end it so that there's confusion. And 
the maliciousness of whatever i'm not saying that there could even be intent it could just be bad translation i don't know like yeah because that that part is interesting when uh, intent and again i don't know either but there is a way and so the aramaic the way i understood it, it like it's a it's a translated like four times like translated into another language translated into another language then translated so there's like a serious game of telephone going on. Absolutely. And I mean, when you see how the original Aramaic one starts, it is interesting because it could have just got corrupted just with without intent. Because you could say, our father who art in heaven. Now, we for sure, the culture understands that start as our God is separate. There's no doubt about that. I mean, every church I've ever listened to, like, that's what they mean by that. But it is interesting if you, if you open your mind to like the possibilities of those, our father who art in heaven. So you could look at the chakra system, like our God who is in heaven, like in the body, in the crown, in the heaven. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I can get there, and, yes. but you could have just screwed it up with the translation. Yes. That was a great call out because there's different ways you can look at it. This is not me saying or anything like someone, you know, the movie, the book of Eli is a good example. And we do know that corruption repeats itself and there is corruption involved. And, but just like Cain, just making the point there, like we, we don't know what we don't know. This could be, like you said, which art in heaven. You can get there as far as how you're looking at it. But if you're not awake, there's no, there's no, there's no way to even see that. So you would, especially if you're talking about the the religion aspect of it, it's already, it's already tainted because in church, they're not looking at it as way Cain just said. I've never heard it. I've been to too many churches. So although he's seeing it and he's saying it like, that's cool. But the religion, the church, like they're not getting it that way. So it doesn't matter if they're not awake, they're not going to look in. They're not going to be mentioned shockers. And yeah, well, they're not going to be insightful. You're not going to put stuff to question. You're not, you're, you're going to go by the, our father, which art in heaven. That's very, um, it's pretty pretty clear what they mean by that. Yes. But I mean, the only point is like it, it actually could be just a mistranslation. Yes, that's it, yeah. it could just be that like um, be, and the book of Eli is such a great example because um, like it doesn't take like a whole lot of understanding of the church history. Like if you go back to the where the church started in that first thousand years. I mean, it's embedded in the government. I mean, it is without a doubt there as a system of control. Mm, And that's when all of this stuff was being put together. And it was before the population could even read. Yep. Because in, in the, in those populations, the, the book was in Latin. The only people that could, understand latin were the priests that studied latin so they were they were with their voice 
literally serving as the voice of God to a book that was un, unavailable to the population. And then that system is tied directly to the governments. It was the system of control. There's no doubt about it. And the only thing that we have recently, I mean, the, the book of Eli is, is a really good example. I mean, it's it's on that level from back then. Yeah, no doubt. It's definitely... Um... You know, we're talking... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're fortunate where we're at. We are educated enough to where language is not a problem for us. And even so, even in this country, most people are educated, but you still can like see the sleep state so prevalent, even though people like understand and see language. Now you take that out of the equation and, you know, you can see how you could influence the masses um, just just by the basis of, of the high priest being that he could understand the language. I mean, he's almost the son of God at that point. So what, what he say, what he says, you know, it, it automatically puts him on a pedestal, which it, which once that happens now, you know, the masses have, you know, very little chance not to say that in those days, people, you know, were probably afraid to even speak out if they had any sense of, of light within them, because, you know, we're, it hasn't been so long that we killed people for stupid stuff over, we've killed people for stupid stuff more than we have been peaceful now. And now we're still killing people for like no reason. Like we're still killing people now in wars for like, I'm right and you're wrong. So it's, it is a perpetual cycle, but education and information has at least caught up to where we can do some of the things that we're doing now. But and for anybody who thinks that that system like wasn't corrupted early on, I mean, so as as these priests have the word of God and they are delivering the word of God to the people, like one of the main things they did when they were communicating to the people was charge money to get to heaven selling endowments that's what the whole lutheran or martin luther the whole reformation of the catholic church is about like there was a split from christianity because there was different christians who said wait a second where does it say in the bible that somebody's got to pay money to get into heaven <laughs> but the people didn't know because the people couldn't read the bible and so the idea that you know this wasn't a corrupted system from the start is kind of ridiculous when you look at um, or it wasn't a system of control. It was literally like a system of control to take money. And then you like, you look at the Vatican these days and it's like, Oh my, like this is golden city, like full of riches. That's like still there. Yeah. It's, it's like a complete monarchy, golden city, like full of riches. I mean, that's from the history of the Bible and the Catholic Church and the system of control that they created. Yeah, and I, I don't get uh, even 
it's probably not something I want to delve into too hardcore, but I don't get the whole royalty king and queen thing either. It's just completely. Oh, yeah. They actually refer to other people as like Commonwealth. It's it's very bizarre. It's very mm-hmm. bizarre. No systems of control. It's bizarre in 2022, and yeah, it just shows you how hard it is to wake up out of those traditions. Because if everyone was really awake, like really awake, none of these would exist. They would literally right. melt away, like. Nothing. Everyone would completely, it just would take care of itself in a very natural but beautiful way. And that's what's so interesting at looking at this translation. So you get to like a translation and it goes back theoretically before there was corruption in the translation. And you like, what was the original message? And I mean, and you and I just heard this and we're certainly not like scholastic scholars in terms of the history of language in the Bible, but you hear one like this and you're like, holy cow, like that hits so hard like that. When I first heard it and it's like one of the first couple words he says is vibration. And immediately I just like tuned in. And then he's like going on with like entanglements. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're describing the ego. They're describing the God within. They're describing it all to a T. Yes. And it doesn't matter. Like, like you said, we believe that it's a, a translation, but I mean, even if someone wrote this yesterday, it's still better than the one we have. Like yeah. replace it yeah. now because it, it, re- <laughs> it resonates. No, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's how I feel because you, you don't have to rely on, on facts in that sense anymore. Once you can discern where this is coming from, and this is obviously coming from a good place. I wanted to break this one down too. The very first sentence says, Oh, cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, he had me at the opening Are line. you kidding me? But like, if you were going to, and words are so important these days because it's, it is, we still, we do, like I say, Jesus, I say Christ, I say God, you know, I say Christianity, we do use those words, but I use them reluctantly and try to use them as sparingly as possible because I know of their widespread misuse that they're tainted. So only when I'm in a flow to make a serious point, do I want to hit like the Jesus word because it could come across as the Jesus word (laughs) and and the Jesus word has been tainted. Like it's right. It's actually been made a mockery of. So when it starts off with O oh, cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, how how what better of a start do you need? Is there a better yeah. start that you need than that? And it breaks down, it gives me chills because we're not the first ones to discover truth. 
We won't be the last ones. But just to know that, you know, if things were out in accord and we didn't have, you know, obviously 2,000 years is not a long time when you're talking about infinity or eternity. But man, if people just knew the truth, like from the very beginning, like people have known the truth a way long time ago. People know the truth today. Very few people are going to know the truth, truth in the future. But if you can just hear, O cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, that says a lot about the mechanics of spirituality. Because yeah. radiance and vibration has a lot to do with it. Like the communication of God, for me, we've talked about the spoken word. It kind of all ties in because the spoken word is not something that comes to you in traditional like thought or you know definitely not ego thought it is some type of vibrational knowing that is wordless that's the communication of god like that's that's been here people have known that it's just you fell victim to culture around you that has taught you something differently but the language of god is vibration the language of God is vibration, and it starts out with saying, oh, cosmic birther, which is the birther of all radiance. But it's really saying it's not labeling like a God to where you can turn it into an ancient God like syndrome or you can turn it into a religion and saying, oh, cosmic birther of all radiance, because I haven't seen your face. I don't know what God is. I'm not putting a figure in it. Uh, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not labeling. It starts off like that. It just hits. Oh, cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, soften the ground of our being and carve out a space within us where your presence can abide. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it does such a good job of encompassing everything. I mean, it just it says it so beautifully it just encompass, encompasses everything and then all right right off the bat like we're going to encompass everything and we're not going to separate ourselves from that everything that is it's such beautiful wording in uh this translation one of the biggest sed seductions or deterrents for people is applying what we know voices are into thinking how God works on how we work. This gives you the direction right away to at least, even if you're not awake, then at least to like put the question what that means. And I think even if I had sentences like that, now I'm not saying I would have just woke up immediately, but it would at least put the question, okay, radiance and vibration. I would have begin to like, start to connect dots because where everyone gets it wrong as religion is what they think the communication from God is and until people understand it's like completely vibrational, which then in turn, you know, some people can put that into the words. I am the vine. You are the branches. <laughs> the simplicity is overwhelming. Some people yeah. choose to feel the vibration and they don't have to put it in the words. Some people would rather just live in their merry life and 
and understand and know the truth. And, and that's perfectly fine too. I mean, I think you and I both felt compelled to try to, uh, you know, get the word out just based on the path that was laid out before us that kind of just unfolded before our eyes. But it's such a huge thing because it attacks it right from the beginning. And, and it, and it, it, it confirms the mechanics of the mechanics. Like this is not something that's not intimate. Fill us with your create creativity so that we may be empowered to bear the fruit of your mission. <laughs> yeah. Let us, I mean, made in God's image. Yeah. I mean, let us be there too. give. Yeah. It's, it certainly describes the state you find yourself in once you start to understand the vibrations. I mean, we talk about it all the time with the fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, find yourself in those vibrations, clear those intentions, and set that beautiful creative energy to making things better. For yourself and everybody around you. So beautiful. Let each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desire. And to me, comes to mind at asking, you shall receive. There's a bit of mechanical nature to what we're talking about as far as how you apply that to human form and how much more of a creation we are than, you know, the flower or, you know, an apple, but apply that to, to what we are, which is more of a, a a godlike being. Let each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desire. Meaning, and this is what I've, kind of told you about my cosmic playground over the last so many years and just on that level and you know the kind of things that we're into now it seems to be intensifying as far as um bearing fruit on on this level of spirituality um so yeah endow us with the wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish. Yeah, that's good because um, it's. But I'm gl- that line because I almost wanted a nitpick there because one of the one of the Buddhist concepts that I mean is super intense is desire. Like, so I'm I'm at a spot now where like desire is almost a trigger word for me, and the idea is you want to overcome all of your desires, but how can you overcome all of your desires if you desire the path of God? Because that's also a desire. Mm, right. So like, there's this re- weird paradoxical nature in yep. it, but the way that they follow up the word desire, can you do that again? Endow us with the wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, like within the last couple of weeks where 
like it's almost like developing some patience, especially if you're somebody like me who's a little bit headstrong, like just leaves things open. Don't try to answer questions. And what happens is stuff settles into the heart and into the heart is where the wisdom comes from. And the desire in relation to the heart is different than the desire in relation to the head. Mm -hmm. But it seems like it kind of starts to explain some of those mechanics right there where it's, it's, it's almost paradoxically acknowledging desire in the pursuit because you, you need it, but it's following that up directly with wisdom, which is about the only thing that you could follow up desire with is wisdom. Yeah, very, very good. And I, I just love too the, the words that, you know, grow and flourish. And I love applying nature and things that you see. Everything has to grow and flourish, you know, with the right environment. You know, you lay down sod, you know, you have to tend to it, water it, you know, make sure the weeds don't grow in it. And it has to grow and flourish. But in traditional Lord's prayer or religion, the mechanics of applying nature and seeing the universe laws, like you, the miss is not applying that to humanity. It's like, it's like we're so egotistical that we think we're, we don't have anything to do with our surroundings when we're all, we are our surroundings. Like we're the same as a flower. We're the same as the sod you plant. We're the same as the tree you plant. But it, it, it encompasses and, and applies to us as well, right. like growing and flourishing. It's just on a insanely higher level, godlike level. I mean, we're the only you know species with the level of consciousness like this, Christ consciousness, God consciousness. I mean, we're the uh, branches. Metaphorically, though, metaphorically, we are the yeah. branches, but nobody sees that. You can't eat right. a grape. When you eat the grape and you feel the grape meat, look down at the vine and look at the grapes on the branches and meditate yeah. on it. It's crazy. It's super yeah. powerful and super fulfilling. Osho talks, of, I mean, that's one of his I mean, major concepts is blooming as the lotus flower yes it's so yeah he's always tied back into the um what what was it called flourishing and grow uh just grow and flourish just grow and flourish which is mechanic again mechanics mechanics like original or traditional lord's prayer is all about far away far away far away Kind of the whole, like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Um, That rings true a lot as far as, like, religion goes. Because I think I've talked about it before. How can you grow and flourish when it's put in your head that you're not worthy? And I'm talking about it's put in your head from a collective. Like, even the songs you sing. Like, you get in this emotional thing, like, I'm not worthy in front of the Lord. Like, you get really intensely emotional about it, too. Like, I'm not worthy. Like, maybe you'll answer my prayer if I'm good this week. Like, it's so far away. Um, But anyway, 
Next one is untie the tangled threads of destiny that bind us as we release others from the entanglement of past mistakes. Untie. I heard the ego there where he's just saying, like, don't let the conditioning drive you. Be, be aware and break free of the, of the ego's conditioning. Release others from the entanglement of past mistakes. That's where the Ferris wheel of pain comes from for me, because when you have, when you don't know what, um, grace and forgiveness and all the laws of spirituality when you don't know those because you're taught like you do things one way but in the head like the mechanics of it doesn't work so you build up and that turns in like pain anxiety and and a less ability to calm the mind and quiet because you got a lot of junk in there you haven't let stuff go for so many years so it, it acquires the ferris wheel of pain um as we release others from the entanglement of past mistakes, it's an entanglement in the mind. It goes round and round and round until you stop judging. Just like in the Walmart story, you, you lay down the judgment there. You lay down the judgment against you people you don't know, the people you do know. Like it's, it's a surrender of releasing that entanglement. You can't be spiritual if you have an entanglement with like mistakes people have made against you. It's impossible. So it's giving you a roadmap. It's literally giving you a roadmap, which again is missing in religion. Do not let us be seduced by that which would divert us from our true purpose, but illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) What... What is going on here? I tell when I when when he played this and I showed it to Patty, I I was looking at him and when it was over I turned to her and like her whole eyeball was full of tears. It was crazy because it was like a moment for her where she's like god dang, like it's how bad is the misleading? <laughs> like how bad is it yeah. because that was pretty damn beautiful. Like yeah. You, you can't not hear it and it not if you're anywhere awake, not hit hard as far as the path being set before you. Right. Do not let us be seduced by that which would divert us from our true purpose. So, yeah, that was, you know, what we started off the program. You talked about, you talked about the breath, the whole process of the buddha is it's he said what you just said you yeah you just said try to st- do that and see if it doesn't go crazy all you're saying is do not be seduced by that which would divert you from your true purpose yeah and take it literally like mechanically take it as literally as you can like that's why i think a lot of people um I don't know if they don't realize or like if you do realize it ends up being understood as like impossible because like like that mechanic, I think you would have to at least be somewhat um, disciplined in a, in meditation already. But 
hear something like that and take it literally and just run the experiment on yourself. Like it, it's, it's not just, I mean, it's there, it's in the, in the Buddhist teaching. It's, it's what if like I take this time right now and I just move forward and I commit to that concept and I commit to it for as long as I possibly can, what happens? And I don't know that people like take it that literally and like set themselves in motion, but there's, I mean, it's, it's calling, it's calling people out. That's what it's doing. It's at the end. It, that's the Lord's prayer. And at the end, it's just like, Hey, I dare you. I dare you. How good is your discipline? Put into action. I dare you. I dare you. Commit yourself to the present moment. Do it as long and as hard as as you can. I dare you. Yes. And as soon as, as soon as you do, I mean, it's it's undeniable. It's going to wake you up. It's going to yeah. do. So that's what we talked about. Like religion has no roadmap to an awakening. This is a Lord's prayer with not too many words. That if you just used this prayer. And you said, okay, Luke, Cain, I'm not awake, but you just told me like what you think the Lord's Prayer is or a course of action for awakening myself. You don't ever have to listen to this podcast again. Get this Aramaic to English and find out the secret in it and, and do it and see what happens and then come back in six months. Yeah. You you would be awake. Yeah. Religion doesn't give you a roadmap because it's obedience. Like they need your obedience. Like people need your obedience. They need you. But but it's not supposed to be that way. Like people aren't supposed Which to is funny. they're not supposed to corrupt you like that. You're supposed to be free. It's funny you use the word obedience, though, because that ends up being what it is. It's obedience to something bigger. It's obedience to something on the inside and ignoring the storm of the mind that wants to keep going all the time and being obedient to something else, recognizing that when you stay with the awareness in your breath long enough, you realize that the mind is just the mind. It's not a person. But it requires your obedience in order to start to understand that. I got some, some just popped up in uh, that beautiful storm. I think this is her pin tweet and I retweeted it. And this was the point. I just want to read it because it's, it's right on target. We have been programmed to live in a fearful vibration. Why? Because a fearful person is obedient. Fear is a weapon that can be used to control the mind. A conscious person leans into their fear and discomfort. They question things. They challenge things and don't blindly believe what they are told. 
as you awaken and walk this path, you will feel very isolated at times, but please know you're not alone. So yeah, there's two different, there's actually two different meanings of obedience because religion, uh, obedience, they need your obedience. So they, you know, I'm going to say blindness. So it's not intended to be this way, but obedience means that you show up every week. They, they need that type of obedience. Um, the obedience that Cain's talking about is we just exposed like a true Lord's prayer that if you're obedient to, you'll wake up. Right. So yeah, there's two different kinds of one, one obedience, like, could lead you down a path of just living out your life, but have never lived. The other one is about waking up and experiencing mechanically what is, and this is a roadmap to do so, but illuminate. Love that girl, by the way. Yeah. Beautiful storm. She hits hard. I mean, I just, uh, I just love the engagement, the engagement of, Twitter's a weird place. Um, it's it's a platform that we continue to grow, but it it definitely is a weird place. I love what we're doing there, but when you find authentic people like Beautiful Storm and Soleil, um, it makes you wonder like like you you have to find re- real people in in the needle in a haystack, even though you think like all these people are real, you know, you're dealing with maybe fake accounts or AI. I don't know, but you, you know, prodigal son, love that guy. He's engaged. Yeah. Another good example. It's just just one of those things with, uh, with Twitter, Uh, but illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. So just going by what you said, uh, what I wanted to hit on, is how this started out with O Cosmic Birther of all radiance and vibration. So it's laying out the communication of the Cosmic Birther, which I love that word because it doesn't have God <laughs> or Jesus in it. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> just because it's not tainted, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. So now here's the kicker, like you just said, like the boringness of it, like focusing on the breath, being committed, being obedient. See how you can do it. See how long you can be committed. But then like understanding the communication, the communication, illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about synchronicities. We're talking about vibration. We're talking about... We're talking about communication that asleep, I had no idea existed. I had no idea. So that's what I was telling you. Vibration, when it hit me the first time I heard truth, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I somehow had the heart open to receive that and always had it open to receive that, which was was definitely a good thing. Um, But understanding like keeping your eyes open throughout if you're going to stay present all day i mean it's about catching those opportunities and moments because you you have no idea what could happen 
You have no, no idea how the universe is cultivating. You have no idea the force of light you are at that moment. You have no idea what's going to come down your road. You, it's, it's, it's an adventure that unfolds second by second. It's, it's, it's in the moment. And when they start to unfold, they're, they just hit you as meaning. And they just lead to another meaningful thing. And you don't necessarily know who you're going to cross paths with. You don't know if you're going to cross paths with, you know, someone you might have a great conversation with and it's just flowing and you don't know if you're going to come across an angry person and all of a sudden you're going to have the patience of Buddha. Like it's, you know, those are all experiences that if you're committed to the moment that are going to be like these magnificent moments that you never knew you could have because everyone in a sleep state is so reactionary. It hit me hard when you said the DMV because pre-awakening, all those moments, uh, it what changed for me was patience as far as like, if you're going to the DMV and you're like, you know, you're going to spend two hours to an asleep person. It's like reactionary, like waste of time to an awake person. It's like an opportunity. You're like, you mean I'm going to sit right. there for two hours? Well, what can I cultivate? <laughs> like, right. It becomes an opportunity. It's not. The fact that you have to sit somewhere and wait for two hours means nothing to someone who's awake. Just as though road rage is idiotic when you're awakened. Like you can't even comprehend road rage. Doesn't even, doesn't even, road rage doesn't even come across my radar ever since I awakened. And even pre-awakened is one, it's, it's a, it is a phenomenon. Road rage is, is, is something to be looked at for sure because i mean I, people have gotten out of their cars and shot people before it's one of the most phenomenal things i've ever seen of so i'm not saying that i was like a road rage person pre-awakening but after awakening like dude there there, you, there is no way you could get me upset in a car it's impossible and i yeah. get upset in the car i'm like what the the hell are they doing? <laughs> They're yeah. upset in a car because you're sitting somewhere waiting. That's remarkable. <laughs> it is remarkable. It's it's definitely it's very very unconscious. I mean, unconscious. there's probably a layer of hell that's just full of road rage. Right. That's <laughs> funny. But it's, you know, the DMV is a good example, but I feel like I, we've heard on like some spiritual podcasts and stuff where people, I guess complain would be the word, but they complain about like, you know, just for an example, I'm not calling anybody specific out, but some story like I'm a paralegal, I'm in the office, like nine hours a day and I don't want to be there. I don't feel like my purpose is being served. I feel like I should be doing something else. I feel like I'm being called to do something else, but the nature of capitalism and the nature of like my rent that's due, like I can't figure out how to do something else. Like that seems to be like a really common story in some seekers that are like looking for, more meaning or maybe even specifically looking for more spirituality. 
but you can take, I mean, and this book, um, food for the heart would be a great place to start. If you, if you already have a little bit of meditative discipline, you can take some of these like more disciplined, advanced concepts and you can take like, uh, nine to five office job like that and you can transform it instead of like this you know prison that you've put yourself in where you've boxed yourself in it is possible to transform that into what luke and i called i think luke um said it earlier um like a spiritual playground a spiritual jungle gym you can turn the whole thing into an opportunity that you just commit to the obedience and you you commit to that awareness on like levels that go beyond what you've committed before. I mean, maybe you think you've done a good job of like staying aware all day, but it's it's weird. You can kind of always push it a little bit, especially if you find yourself complaining about your surroundings. That's your clue that you haven't maintained presence the way that is possible and it's interesting because some of those i mean we said a long time ago that it might be that people in prison are actually the most susceptible to an awakening because they so many of their options are taken away from them and there's not there's not really a they're kind of stuck there with their own thoughts where it could actually spontaneously force something to break in that direction. But it's real similar. Like if you, if you catch yourself in like a mundane position or maybe, you know, it's something that you're just going to have to do for a little while. I mean, you can, you can take that time and you can, you can strive for something and you can make that time work for you in a disciplined pursuit of, greater meaning and spirituality in your life. I mean, the path is there. Yeah. I think the prison work too is popular for people like me or you, because you, it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Um, you, you have an audience that you, if you go into a prison and you have something to share, you know, there, there's a level of desperation. Yeah. That, if you have some kind of secret to help them cope with which, which is the ultimate secret to where they wouldn't feel boxed in anymore is to become free of your mind. And I know a lot of, it seems like any spiritual teacher that I know, they do a lot of prison work. And I think there's a reason for that. One, most people are in prison weren't at the wheel when the crime was committed. So, you know, almost everyone who's in prison, ultimately there's some other influence or some other person that's responsible. And, and it's only a matter of environment. So the level of compassion for prisoners is through the roof because there's not, I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer is an anomaly. That's not 99% of the population. 99% of the population is 
bad environment, bad family, no role models, no, no right. truth, nothing. So you, you, it doesn't fall on deaf ears for us in this podcast, you know, although I might wish a hundred thousand people were listening and, and getting something from it and waking up. The reality is people in the rat race of the world, it, it's hard to tune in. And it's, it's when I was younger and I, I understood that like seeking had to be worth something and thought I was maybe a little bit different than it's a lot different than most like 20, 21 year olds. I didn't ultimately think I was going to find an answer. I ended up doing so, but there's something about the seeking and, and that would be, you know, the listener that you're looking for because there's so many people asleep that it becomes, you know, we put out the vibration through the airwaves and if we catch one to where, you know, we can have a conversation and, and, and move forward with helping someone out. But man, you put yourself in a prison. It's like, I can see them like wanting to just take the love from you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You said it. Desperation was the perfect word. Yeah. Did we wrap that up? There was more, right? Yes. I think the last, I got you off track. (laughs) I did. But illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. Yeah. We talked about that. Well, yeah, Why, that's we gave were, my version of vibration, but we were just going off on like, take those mundane times. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Yep. Opportunities. They're there when you're ready to commit to the discipline. They're it's, there. The mind is different than the mind before you were committed because the mind asleep does not see the DMV as an opportunity. Right. The mind just, uh, you're, right. you're regretting it before you even get there. Right. Uh, DMV to someone that sees it as an opportunity. It makes it a beautiful moment. I mean, we're really not just saying that, um, sitting in the car in traffic. I go to Atlanta a lot. It's horrible. Like the traffic, they're such opportunities for me. Obviously we're podcast people. So, you know, you have, but my God, like sitting in traffic is one of the best opportunities. One, you're by yourself. You can be in a meditative state pretty much the whole time. You can work on your breathing. It's just a perfect opportunity because you're, you don't have, the the mix of it's like you're in your closet at your house but you can turn on it takes away all your options and the universe is just staring at you well what are you going to do now yeah you can use it as no excuse meditation i mean you can um breathing breathing is great in the car um 
learning to meditate, like you said, with your eyes open, with the breathing, focusing on your nose. It's not just a closed eye thing in the bedroom, which is great moments too. But yeah, the car teaches you how to meditate all the time. Like you're in the UPS truck, yeah. you're in the driver's seat, you're, it's, you're in the, you're in this, it teaches you how to be maybe a little bit harder in an office setting in a cubicle. And if, if I had any advice for someone, I would just say, get the hell out of there. <laughs> that, oh, that, yeah. that would be hard. Eventually. <laughs> Wake yourself up first. Yes, exactly. I, I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. I, I wouldn't be able to work in an enclosed environment like that. And I know that there's people that probably flourish in that type of environment, but it's not me. Um, I do know that much. But two, you could pivot, you know, being in that, you know, depends on how much money you make, but there's pretty much such an employee's market that if you're in a cubicle somewhere and it inhibits your ability to be present, like more than likely, if you turn your feelers on a little bit, there's probably an opportunity outside of an office somewhere making the same kind of money. So, you know, there's all, there's always an opportunity out there to, you know, I did a couple of jobs I didn't like maybe inside somewhere for a certain amount of time, but then I pivoted to where it put me like more of outside or definitely not in an office all day. Um, the last paragraph here. For you are the ground in the fruitful vision, the birth, power, and fulfillment as all is gathered and made whole once again. And so it is. So it follows up. I mean, it rounds off with everything you would need to hear in a round off and, and made whole. I mean, it's a full circle moment. Spirituality is all about full circle. It's all about you were empty in your religion. Everybody's looking for wholeness. I just heard a guy today on a podcast. Again, I've heard this so many times. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the discussion about the person that says, I did everything that society told me to do. I got the degree. I got the nice house. I got the nice car. I had a nice girlfriend. I had the pool. I had the boat and something was missing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. That is the definition yeah. of you being born into culture and learning your way and doing what society told you. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I did what society told me to do and I'm not happy. It really doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing. It's just the process of how you got there was totally wrong. It's completely cultural. Yeah. So when you and not even not even wrong, just not um you were just missing one other part. You're just missing the mechanics along the way. I mean, the the person that does that, I mean, if you could just apply small mechanics like back at the start, you would have spiritually grown into that life as well. Yes. 
It's a good call out because the point of it is not that you've set up this bad life for yourself. The point of it is how empty you are by how you attained it. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have to be empty all the way to the nice house and the nice car. But by the time you get there and you were empty the whole way, you have a bit, uh, you have a sense of, oh, I can take a deep breath, but you can't take a deep breath because you don't even know what the F breathing is. Right. So you're like, oh, I can't and even take a deep breath in the house that I built for myself. Why? Because nothing in the culture does anything to describe any of the methods that you would need to feel fulfilled later. And even if you were in the culture and you thought you were by like going to the church, you're going to still find yourself there. But when I heard that last part, it was, I got a lot of like integration and made whole, like healing integration, meaning parts of the subconscious and understanding and finding those like i think i'm starting to understand more like that could be more more of a instead of a dissolving process more of an integrating process so these many eyes and these egos that were made along the way uh you mentioned like the little girl i mean but there's like these things and it's funny you said little girl because I've also had um, little girl subconscious stuff. But like there's these characters within the subconscious that you get to expose through a lot of the dream analysis. But it, it it's not like you're shining light on something and then like dissolving it. It's almost like you're shining light on something and then integrating it. So the healing and the making whole hit me hard with that particular line. Yeah, and just to give an example of the synchronicity, when I had that dream, do you remember the scene where the silence of the lambs, the girl was in the well, and then you had the captor? Yeah. I was in a setting like that that did portray that scene but i was more of an observer and i was bargaining with him to leave the electricity on i don't know why that was the point i i that's all i can remember is leave the lights on it was very important for me to get through to him to leave the electricity on because for some reason he was turning it off for punishment um and I was, which was so in that see that part was so insane because that night so when you that was you talking to me the next day explaining that night but that night It was it was over the weekend. I had my alarm set for 3:30. I got out of bed. I go down to the basement. I have 
it's actually on the other side of where I'm sitting right now. I had the yoga mat all ready for me to come down and sit down. But if you like got the view right here, there's like all this electronics that's right in front of me here. And so I was laying like 15 feet in that direction, laying down and it was, I was grasping the nature of my own, um, electromagnetism and i had it almost like visually in in my eyes and i had it like as um almost like the um the substance of smoke except that's not quite right but i mean meaning it could be disturbed just by like moving the air like that so, so smoke isn't quite right, but I mean that type of like uh, fragileness to it. But when when I noticed it, it was all pulling towards the electronics. So it was like I'm laying there, and like the all the electronics in the basement are to my right, and I'm seeing like I'm seeing my electromagnetism pull towards the electronics. And I'm saying to myself, because I'm I'm so still and I'm so um I, I worked myself into that state. Like I don't just lay down and, and see that. You know what I mean? Like it takes a minute for me to focus, concentrate, get present, and relax my whole body. <clears throat> and then after you think you have your body relaxed, I mean relax it even more. So it's a process that I just went through. So I wasn't going to get up and do anything, but I'm saying to myself, the one thing breaking my concentration was I need to shut off all these electronics next time. These electronics are messing me up. I need to shut these electronics off next time. That was my main message I was fighting in my head. What's the deal with these electronics? These electronics can't be on in this state. Wow. That's crazy. So as I was driving up to Atlanta, and once again, I mean, me driving to an Atlanta on a Saturday morning, it's nothing but opportunity for me. The drive is so pleasant as well. There's no traffic, but usually on the road, like six to 10, so I can get back, still enjoy the rest of the day. I was going over the dream in my head. And I was saying, you know, was I in hell? Was I not in hell? I just talked to you and the prodigal son on, we were talking about the gates of hell and like, it was lucid. I don't, it definitely wasn't astral projection, I don't think, but it, I didn't have enough recollection to even determine. I just knew that I was there and I had Spotify soundtrack on and something started playing and. I was literally thinking about the conversation I was going to have with you and I was unsure of where I was at, but I knew that I was going back and forth with this guy in a bargaining fashion. So I look up, I look up to the screen as I'm driving and this is what's there. (laughs) The devil doesn't bargain. I've never even heard of a song called 
devil doesn't bargain. And and I'm tell you like the synchronicity with music is bizarre. That was bizarre because it was a synchronistic moment that I've had with, you know, colors, numbers, what have you. But I was questioning myself and but I was it was very cut and dry like devil doesn't bargain like like you're you're sitting there playing games no matter what like if you if you're in hell like it's not going to be bargaining like I just think like complete annihilation and grab your sword like what are you doing like like trying to negotiate with the devil it doesn't doesn't work that way like take your freaking samurai swords with you you idiot what is what's going on don't dip in with your toes like get your brother and like dive in and do some training like what is what is going on but it hit me the the timing of it is remarkable and that's what i talk about by communication it's vibrational it's not in words it's not you don't hear a voice in the head i can't tell you how many times i've heard someone said and then god spoke to me no you're just messing with yourself you have no idea god is vibrational like it's all vibrational you can translate that like it is translatable you can flow with that vibration it can, it, you know, the mind's eye, all of that, it does work. If you're aware, it does work. That's the, the vine and the branches. Yes, that's true. But God didn't speak to you in no words. When I hear that, I, under, I know I know the ego is talking to me immediately. Like, that's what I'm saying, right. though. It's not that many, like, it's not really the people's fault. Like, a lot of people in prison, I mean, they're guilty, but a lot of people were guilty for why they're in prison. You know, it's not, it's, it's misleading. It's, it's buying into what you're taught your whole life and not understanding like the language of the cosmic birther, which is vibrational. It's funny because I had a I had a different read on the devil doesn't bargain because I mean I agree with everything you said it just hit me a little bit different because like don't like my process is I'm trying to get to sleep so if you like parallel our process like you're obviously dreaming right yes I'm set my alarm I'm trying to dream but it's not happening. Like I'm, I'm, I'm too present. I'm too awake. I'm not slipping into the dream. So when I saw the devil doesn't bargain, it was as if you were trying to pull me, like we set up some kind of thing where you were trying to pull me into the dream. And then the synchronicity to me was, well, for Luke, that wasn't even the devil. That was just the system that he set up to try to get us to sync up in the dream. Yeah, like um, a program. Yeah, like you set it up in in the on the matrix. It seems training deck it seems more realistic because it felt like a program when you say it that way. 
Yeah, and only because, I mean, we've we've been really close for a, a really long time. I mean, basically our whole adult lives. We noticed a long time ago. It's like, damn, like I'm never in your dreams, and you're never in my dreams. And then recently, like that's changing. So you have, like I. I was hang gliding with you not too long ago, which was my first experience with you. And then also recently, you told me to say potato in a dream. You were in my dream. I I was on a radio show. People thought I talked funny. And I mean, there's a, my family kind of like razzes me every once in a while for a few words I say funny, but it it was like this whole group was like making fun of the way I talk and potato was one of their trigger words that they, everybody cracked up when I said potato. I don't know how I was saying it funny, but then you were on the radio show and it was all over and you just, it was, I could see you. It was, it's almost like we were on the podcast or something. But you just looked right at me and you go, Kane, say potato. <laughs> and that's when I woke up. And then, of course, you had all that fun stuff about potatoes and how them being grounded vegetables and stuff. But that's why I think I took. So when I said the devil doesn't bargain, I was like, oh, that could have been way more of like a parallel process we had going on where you were actually bargaining with me to shut off the electronics. Yeah. And you were, um, I, I remember it was like, it was my ego. Cause that's, it was ego in the head yeah, that was you, like holding. You were asleep. I know. Like, uh, there was like, Do you remember the guy in the Silence of the Land? So he had the headphones on, like, like he is the epitome of being asleep. You know, what I'm like he yeah. just you could he was so asleep that you're like evil. Remember, right? Yeah. So that and, that was a metaphor for me. Like in that place, like you could be like really asleep in that place too, like yes. really asleep. Like how. How am I going to wake you up? And the word potato comes full circle as well. So I'm telling you to yeah. say potato to wake you up on a program inside the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, I mean, there's two, I don't know that like one would be right and one would be wrong, but I'm just, it definitely hit me like in a completely different way where it felt like, um, like when you said electronics, I just, originally, I just couldn't get that out of my head. It hit so hard when you said electronics. It's like, there's a lot of words that you could say or a lot of things that you could be struggling with in a dream but it was your word electronics and that was just too close to like what i know was going on in my head 
I was pissed off in my electronics. I, it caused enough disruption in me that, I mean, the night ends up being, I, I don't think of them this way, but in terms of like, I didn't hit any hypagogic. It was an unsuccessful adventure other than the fact that I was having such awareness of my, you, you don't ever think that way because you're always making some kind of aware progress. But in terms of like reaching a sleep state, I never even got close to back to one because I was so worried about the electronics. Like I was stuck there. Yeah, I just, uh, we hit on this on the last podcast. I just really have this big feeling that I do go places, but I have to find a way to remember what I'm doing because there's moments where I was over KK's bed and trying to go through the wall and my problem is I don't, I don't, it's just memory. Yeah, right? It's just memory. And so, uh, it's two sixteen. I've got, I've got the memory method for you. <clears throat> yeah. If you want it, it's quick. Yeah. <clears throat> When you wake up, the most important thing is the you you have to get your awareness before you move any part of your body. So you know, like e- like think more like in the middle of the night. You know, like when you wake up and you immediately turn over. You have to break that habit of like waking up and moving the body. You have to wake up and be still. And then when you wake up and be still, there's, um, it's the Ra Om Ga Om. So it's all in your head. And um, it's, it's a mantra. So it's totally, totally still, only in your head. Go with your breath. Ra-om. completely still Ga-om. and just repeat it for like five minutes and that mantra is from gene hart it's the memory mantra for dreams specifically but i think the key is it and it takes discipline it takes um because like you're that's a very difficult time to be present like that first snap awake because you you really want to move your body because um you, you need to shuffle the blood around and stuff like there's a process you're fighting against but if you can stay still it's literally not it's allowing the astral body to stay grounded to the physical body and letting the memory transfer without disruption. So it you it takes present intention and will and time. You see what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, it's not like normal memory. You have to transfer the memory from the astral body to the physical body 
by will. And I mean, using those ra'om, ga'om, I mean, tools will help, but I mean, it's more the idea of like what you have to do. Makes sense. I think I can apply that. The one thing that comes to mind, and I know that I say this to myself every time this happens, that maybe I'll be more conscious of the awareness. But if I would like the Daryl thing when I woke up or anything that I feel like I'm at a place like with the Daryl, that's another thing we talked about. Like I was, when you talk, I was aware on that Daryl dream. Yeah. Like I was coaching him spiritually. There was, there was, I, I was awake. You know, we talk about being awake and not being awake. I don't even know yep. why we haven't talked about that, but the Daryl, I was awake because I remember I told you, I realized he was asleep and I sat him down. It was very cordial. Yep. It wasn't like I was dictating anything. I was, awake that's why I saw his asleepness there. And we had a conversation presently as though me and you were talking right now. That's why you remember that one, though, because that's the like the more lucidity that you have in the dream, the more aware you are in the wake up process. And I always say I want to go back every time I wake yeah. up. Yeah. Like the very first thing I say to me, if I wake up and it's and it's and it's lucid like that. I it's uh, there's always a feeling of the job's not done or you know, I was enjoying that. And when you wake up, it's like, it's like right now, if I would just exit the room, I was like, well, I was having a good conversation. Can I go back? Right. That's always what I say. And even sometimes when it's a bad dream, like I want to, I want to go back. But that's always the first question immediately is that I'm, I'm curious to know. It's like, should I pivot from that? Because I, I don't, something yeah. wants like, Oh, you're no, I want to go back. Like that's the first thing that hits you. Right. Yeah. If you can pivot from that and say, instead, I want to remember because the, I want to go back. You, it's still available. Sometimes you go back. Yeah. I mean, and, and so you're not taking that off the table, but take the time to remember, just jot a couple of things down. Cause you don't have to get all detailed, like in the middle of the night, you just need to trigger the memory. And then, so just like one or two sentences, some key words, like for that one, I was just like, Luke was there hang gliding. And I tried to like describe the place a little bit. And then when I wake up in the morning, I fill in the details because I can remember just based on those couple of words I put down, but it's, it's just taking that first moment and like like you said a little bit of a pivot and it it's tr it's not like normal memory it's transferring from your spirit body to your physical body it's like it's a completely active um setting your intent mechanical process to get that memory that's why nobody remembers their dreams because like nobody's practice at that. It like literally takes practice. And that's why you can remember dreams when you're little because you're so lucid in the dreams. 
So you wake up and you like automatically remember because that your awareness was just right there. Yeah, as a child, and then as you, it's it's probably more natural anyway. A lot of things came natural right. to me when I was a child. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah, it's getting back to that state. You're right. I remember seeing spirals in like my like other dimension when I was a kid. I know, me too, and big time. I hear a lot of people talk about that as far as what they could do when they were a kid laying in the bed as opposed to now yeah and i try to do it now i can somewhat form it but i remember being able to like like in the mind's eye areas it was like wormholes yeah yeah it was pulling you forward yeah and yeah that's obviously i mean clear as day to me like some type of energy type I mean, we know how the universe works too. Like black holes are probably some type of wormhole. Oh my goodness. A visit into infinity. Did you watch that? No. So no. A lot of it's above my head because it is physics, but spirituality plays a role into just kind of seeing it. And the one thing that stands out is definitely a good watch. Um, it's it's okay put together. I'll check it I out. I'd say it's the best documentary. I mean, it's for what we do. I mean, it will be interesting for you. Probably more for me because there's a lot of numbers involved, and it's kind of on on that. But just the one thing, which is insane to me, they just break down what infinity is, and it's so fascinating because they do illustrations like putting an apple in a box. And if you put an apple in a box, it's going to decay over so many years and break down into basically dust and whatever protons and neutrons over billions of years, it's going to run its infinity cycle, but it has no other outcome, but to become an apple again. (laughs) and it and it runs the scenario that in infinity situation infinity is not the largest numbers when you apply these laws there is loop there is an an infinite number of loop and canes in the universe playing out an infinite number of lives because that can only be true Right. When you're visiting infinity. Right. Because infinity has laws of physics. And and laws of physics, when you see them lay it out, an apple becomes an apple all over again. But when you look at Earth and you look at like billions of years and we say evolution and all this, it kind of lays it out there like how things just come to be. Because at some right. point, there's no other option but to form what it forms. And it's it's fascinating. A lot of it's over my head. A lot of it's hard for me to put into words. But just on the path that we're on, I love diving into what we can dive into in space now because I think it's so fascinating. But I'll definitely check it it's out. It's a good one. It's, yeah. it's a good one. Pro- I mean, I enjoyed maybe half of it. Some of it's got some quirky parts to it. That's 
it's not the best production ever, but it's definitely got some cool illustrations that'll make you be like, oh my God. But it, it couldn't <laughs> right. be any other thing. Zero, infinity, doesn't matter how big you make a zero, the radius points, if it's a small circle to a large circle, they're always going to have the same amount of corners. Because corners right. in a circle go from the radius. Yep. So zero ends up being infinity. But it's paradoxical because zero, you just have to watch it. It's I will. I'll, I'll make that priority. You good? Yep. <laughs> 